On behalf of all of your elders, I'm happy to, to announce an exciting opportunity this morning. Over a year ago, we stopped having the overflow service, the overflow, overflow worship broadcast into the old fellowship hall, now the teen center. Since then, our numbers have grown and we no longer have room to grow. We're full. We need to make more room. Over the past several months, your elders and staff have considered our options and have decided to have two Sunday morning worship services. This is an opportunity for growth, to step out in faith. It's an opportunity to challenge all of us to step up our efforts to reach out to others. By offering another time to worship, we'll have room to accommodate more people. The size of our auditorium does not need to be a limiting factor for what we can do. This is not only an opportunity for growth by reaching out to others, this is an opportunity for more of us to serve here. There'll be more opportunities for men to participate in worship, more opportunities for people to serve in the nursery, to serve as greeters, to serve as ushers, other roles. There will be more opportunities. And of course, there'll be other opportunities in our new children's effort for, in Faith Farm. It's our plan to start having two services on August 7th. Randy will be talking more about the details that we are planning. We want to emphasize that this is not a change in how we worship. The two services will mirror each other as much as possible. Our style of worship in each of these services will be no different than our style of worship is now. We simply need to make room for more. During the next two months, we'll be working with the deacons and the ministry leaders whose work will be affected by this to ensure that the transition is as smooth as possible. We know that there will be challenges in this, but we think that the opportunities that this brings far outweigh any challenges that will come. As always, if you have any questions, please talk to one of the elders. We'll be glad to discuss this with you. We see this as a tremendous opportunity for growth. We ask from each of you two things. Number one, be open to the work that you can do here. Ask what you can do to make this a success. When asked to work, say yes. What can I do to help? And number two, most of all, pray that this will be a success. And pray that God uses this as an opportunity to open more doors. Pray that God will use you, that he'll use me, that he'll use all of us as he wills. Your elders and staff think that this is a good thing for us here at West Seventh. We pray that God will continue to bless us and to use us together as his church to further the kingdom here. Randy. Good morning. So glad you're here today. Uh, this is an exciting day, and it's my joy to be able to share some of these details with you. If you looked at the sermon outline on the back, you notice there's lots of room for notes. Uh, didn't put any fill in the blanks. I didn't want to give too much uh, hint ahead of time. You're smart people. You figured it out. Uh, and you probably already figured it out anyway. Uh, but it's, it's all good. And what I want to do for the next couple of moments is we've prayed about this um, and talked about this for, for quite a while. Uh, is how to kind of share this with everyone. And we started this morning uh, talking with uh, the deacons uh, and the ministry leaders, uh, sharing with them because we have a plan 
Um, but not every detail of that plan is finalized because we need our deacons and some of those who lead different ministries to kind of fine-tune some of those. So what I want to do this morning is kind of give you the overall plan, um, but then also just kind of remind us of why we're here and what our purpose is, and that will be our lesson today. So I want to begin and kind of take you back with the thought process, the rationale, um, because the elders have been talking about this intensely uh, for quite a few months now, just studying this, talking, doing our homework, talking to other churches, you know, what's best for us. Uh, but really, as a leadership, this has been discussed for years. You know, what is our next step? What do we need to do? So um, take you back, uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, some of you may remember when this church started having uh, the overflow worship uh, in the fellowship hall, uh, and the shepherding groups would take turns rotating uh, down to, to worship their live video feed. Um, here's the truth of that. Um, there were some people who loved it. Uh, they preferred it. Kind of a handful of them, but they did. They loved the smaller setting. Uh, some of them might be near the, the restrooms or maybe with their children. And so that was their choice. So there was a few people who loved it, and they worshiped there every week, not just when they were in their shepherding group. Most people, however, did not love it. Uh, some went when it was their time to rotate. Some went for a while and said, I just can't do that anymore. Uh, they didn't feel like they were worshiping. So the elders and ministers have for years studied every possibility. You know, what is the right choice? And, and I say every possibility, I mean every possibility. I remember at one retreat years ago, I think it was 13, 14, 15 different options from planning a church, from uh, selling this building and relocating, from enlarging this auditorium, uh, and everything in between. Uh, we tried to talk about everyone, the pros and the cons. Um, but what we realized is, and here's what we're dealing with, we have a fantastic location. I mean, if you're talking to somebody about our church, all you have to say is, we're downtown on West 7th. The people know where we are if they don't already know where we are. So we've got a fantastic location downtown. We've got an excellent facility uh, with great history. Uh, now, we don't have a huge parking lot. I remember when I first moved here 11 years ago, I thought, where do the people park? Uh, and some of you may have had that same impression. No, we don't have a big parking lot, but we've got a huge one right next door. And how many downtown venues, churches, of any kind would die to have that kind of parking? So we do have that available to us, but with no cost, no construction, we feel the best option that we kept coming back to was to go to two services. But even as I say that, there's some buts that come to mind. But what about this? And but what about that? And so let me go ahead and mention a, a big one. But won't that make us two churches? Won't that be like having two congregations? And that's a real concern. However, think with me about this. If you really step back and, and think about it, even now, when you come to worship, you don't see everyone. Isn't that true? There are those who primarily worship on the main floor. That's where you sit. That's your go-to. There are some who every week you choose the balcony. And for years, every week, there were some who chose to worship in the fellowship hall. 
And that's not counting those of our members that worship at Poplar States and at Landmark Apartments, that outreach, and those at the bridge. The reality is that most people, most of us, only interact with people who sit nearby. Isn't that true? Maybe attend the same Bible class, or maybe you teach together or otherwise serve together. The fact remains, if you want to stick to yourself and stay to yourself, you can do that. That's your choice. But I also want you to know this. We are, as a part of this step, this, this, uh, this decision, we are also going to create some opportunities for us as a church to be together more. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But you also need to know this. For years, the feedback that the elders would receive, and even ministers as well, and maybe you're the one who said it, the feedback that we received from the live format feed in the fellowship hall was that it was a, a subpar worship experience. Now, some liked the smaller setting, some needed and appreciated the access to the restrooms, but no one was ever heard saying, I can't wait to invite my friends to come and experience this. Did, did you ever hear that? I don't think it was ever said. In fact, just the opposite was true. They say, we must arrive early and save a seat so that my friends can meet upstairs. So through the years, and you might remember this, we modified uh, the, how we would do worship in the fellowship hall to try to make the most of it. But we just kept coming back to it was never more than just an overflow, just really a, a stopgap to help with the overcrowding. Now, this is key, and I really want you to get this. Two worship services will only work if both are a healthy, vibrant gathering. Both of them. There's not a main one and an alternate. They're, they, we want them to be equal. Now, we know that doesn't mean that 50% will attend one and 50% will attend another, although that would be great. Uh, you know, some might choose a time that's better for them, so we anticipate some being at least slightly larger than the other one. And, and it's okay for one of them to be smaller. But smaller doesn't mean that it's less than. It still needs to be a healthy, vibrant gathering. That's our goal. So another question that comes up, but what about the balcony? Well, the deacons asked that as we were talking this morning. And, and that's a good question. You know, if, if we do this and, and we have 60% of our number now at one time and 40% at another, we don't have a need for the balcony. And so if we don't have a need for the balcony, we'll close the balcony. But our goal is to grow, and we look forward to the day of opening that balcony again to kind of help with the overflow. But in the meantime, it's a blessing to all be together, to sit closer together. It helps with singing. It helps logistically with, like, even serving communion. It takes fewer people, and so that's how we'll begin. What we feel like is now... As elders and ministers especially have talked about this for the last couple of months, the time is right. The time is now to make this step. And we feel like the time has come. Now, again, we've spent months and months formulating the plan. And for some of you, you, you may have seen this coming. For others, it may be a little bit of a shock. So what I'm going to do is just share with you the plan, kind of the, the skeleton. And you may want to write some of this down. There's no blanks to fill in. But some of these details you might want to remember. We'll keep talking about this in the coming weeks. 
we have many deacon and ministry leaders that, you know, they're going to be giving us some feedback, and we keep saying that because I want you to know that we want to hear from them, and it's going to affect their area, and so as we move forward, you're going to be hearing more about some of these plans, but, but here's um, point number one. These services are going to be similar in style. Um, I put on the screen there the, the very words that Wade uh, shared with us. This is not a change in how we worship. Our style of worship in each of these services will be no different than our style of worship is now. The two services will mirror each other as much as possible. We simply need to make room for more. I'm going to reiterate that because don't be fearful thinking that this is something other than what's being presented because it's not. This is the plan. Now, we're going to continue to embrace new technologies and new methods as they come available. But as a church, I hope you know this. If not, hear me now. Your elders and ministers, we are as committed as ever to the Word and, and obeying the Lord. And we're as strong as ever with that. At the same time, no elder or minister is foolish enough to say, well, well things might not change or may change. Think about this. How many of us 15 years ago would have ever guessed that we had a huge projection screen up here? You know, and, and now when it doesn't work, we're like, oh no, what's wrong? Do any of you remember, if you're as old as me, when sometimes, especially a Sunday night, when the preacher would have charts? Do any of you remember a chart sermon? You know, like, oh, this is going to be a goodie, you know? Uh, just going to help this visual. I can remember in youth ministry when we would put our songs using an overhead projector, and we thought, boy, are we ahead of the game. You know, so technology is always evolving, and we want to embrace that, you know, as we can, that will help us with our worship. But again, we are as committed to the Word and obeying the Lord as possible. Here's something you want to remember. And Wade said this, the dates. August 7th. August 7th is the day that we are going to start this. This is the first Sunday after schools are back in session. You know, and if, if you think about it, the start of school year is almost like the start of a new year. I feel like this is a, a good time. This is the best time. But you're going to also notice, and it's on the screen there, that on the 11th of September, that's when we'll begin Faith Farm. We thought about starting Faith Farm this summer. We thought about starting these at the same weekend. But we feel like it'd be great to, to do the, the two services for about a month. And we can kind of fine-tune that, and then we can start the Faith Farm. And so August and September are going to be exciting times for us. Now, here's another question you're probably thinking about. The times. Here's what we want to do. First worship will start at 8 o'clock. Second worship, you see there, is at 10.30. Now, I'll put them over here first and second. You can call it early and late. We call it a lot of things. It's not a main and an alternate. Again, I want to say that. Just two different times. Bible class in between. But I want you to know, here's, here's our thinking on that. We, knew we didn't want to start before 8. We wanted the, the last to, to be done in, before lunchtime. And so we massaged several different options, talked to a bunch of different churches. How do you do it? How much transition time? And what we realize is this. Right now, our worship time usually lasts about an hour and ten minutes. We can say it's an hour, but we usually it's about an hour and ten minutes. And so that's what we're going to plan for to begin with. Because, again, if we're doing the same things in the same way, then why do we expect it to be a little different? But that may be subject to change. We may get into two services and realize an hour is enough for whatever reason. So we might tweak these times once we try it for a while. So we want you to be open to that. And we'll be open to suggestions with that. 
But what you'll notice there is 8 o'clock first worship, 9.30 Bible classes. And notice that that's a full 45-minute Bible class. Teachers, how frustrated have you been when you prepare your class and when worship goes over beyond an hour and 10 minutes especially, and the Bible class is down to 20 minutes? Think about how good this is going to be for the youngest to the oldest to have a full 45-minute Bible class. And then here's another one. This will be new opportunities to help us be together. Everybody knows, and I said this earlier ago, that anybody can remain to themselves, even in this big room. But we also want to use this as an opportunity to create more interaction. So what I want you to see is we built in the morning schedule a, a special fellowship time. Uh, look there at, that, at the screen there. From 9.10 to 9.30. That's a 20-minute transition time. And what we want that also to be is not just a time to go for those who are in first worship to go to Bible class. But we want that to also be a fellowship time. Of all the great things about our location and our facility, what we're lacking is we don't have a big lobby. We don't have a big uh, gathering point as you enter our building. And so it's hard to visit until you come into this space. So what we want to do is sort of uh, make that happen. And so we're going to take the, the gym portion of our family center, the part near the kitchen, and make that kind of like a reception area. And so that's where, like if you go to the first worship, after worship over, you can go in there and mix and mingle and talk with folks. That's where coffee will be served. You want to get a cup of coffee before class. In fact, this is a little change. Instead of all the coffee, uh, all the classes serving their own coffee, all the coffee will be served there. Um, but even if you don't drink coffee, it's not about the coffee. It's about being together. Think about how neat that will be if you're inviting somebody to church. Say, hey, just meet me in the gym. And then you can meet them there. And then you can introduce them to your friends. And you can take them to Bible class. Uh, that can be such a good opportunity. Also, we're building in here a little bit more time, 20 minutes, because as we launch the Faith Farm and our new children's ministry, there's going to be an added security where parents will be checking in their children. And we've got quite a large facility. And imagine being a, a parent and you've got a, a toddler to check in the preschool wing and then maybe a, a third grader over in Faith Farm and then you've got to find your Bible class and then you've got to go to the bathroom. Or maybe change a diaper. You, you know, it's, it's going to take a few moments. And so that's what we're thinking there. And so we want you to kind of help us with that and even give us some feedback with that. Something else we want you to know. We would all agree. And some of you may have this sick feeling go, oh, but there's something sweet about us all being together. We would all agree, all of us. We love all being together. As a preacher, as a speaker, I love it when we're all together. And you can share and experience together. Um, so we don't want to minimize that. Uh, and so what we want to do is create several times of year where we'll throw that schedule out and we'll all meet together for worship. Some of you might remember about six years ago, we all met in the gym portion of the Family Center for worship when this auditorium was being renovated. So we can do that to begin with, and when the church continues to grow and we outgrow that, we'll find another spot. And those will be even more special Sundays when we can all be together. Well, here's what we want everyone to do. Wade, hinted at the, I mean, Wade mentioned this as well. Uh, pray and prepare. 
for all of us to pray and prepare. I think this begins with prayer and it continues with prayer. We've been praying about this for, for months and months. Is this the right decision? Is there a better decision? We can't come back. This is the right decision. How do we communicate this? What's the plan? And so keep praying for this. Pray for the elders as they shepherd this flock, as they care for your soul, uh, that everything that is done will, will in, encourage us to, to continue to grow in the Lord. Pray for them to challenge us to reach out to the lost, those who need Jesus. Pray for the deacons and the ministry leaders. Some of them are thinking, how in the world are we going to pull this off? And the answer is God through you. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But pray for them because they're going to be rethinking how do we do things and how can we do them better. And then pray for each member and each family as we move forward. Pray for yourself. Pray for your own family. What does this mean? What's going to be best for your family, for yourself? And as these deacons formulate the plan, here's what we know. It's going to require more of us to make it happen. One of the downsides of a larger church all being together is just a few folks can pull it off. But as we do this, you're going to be needed. In some ways, it's going to be twice as many people are needed, men and women, young and old, keeping a nursery, greeting, men leading in worship, a chance to step up and volunteer. I want you to know this too. Over the next couple of months, as we again formulate this plan, each person, each family, you'll be given an opportunity to say, this is when I'm going to go. You know, my family, I'm going to choose to go to the first service, or we're going to go to the last service. And that's key for a lot of reasons. It doesn't lock you in. If there's a, a weekend and you wake up late or you're running late and you choose to go to the late service, then great. Or if you've got travel plans or you need to go to the early service, well then go to the early service. Begin back to the logistics of, you know, when will you keep nursery? You know, when will you help with the greeting? When will you help with the uh, leading worship? The, the deacons and ministry leaders need to know when they can plan on you. And so we'll be talking about that too. Maybe even a new time to sign up. So you can say, yes, count me in. And count me in on the second service. Or count me in on the first service. But even if you choose the early service, I want to encourage you to make an effort to go to that fellowship time. We might come up with a name for that. To interact with those who are just coming for Bible class. So you can see each other. And if you're coming to the late service and the Bible class, then make the effort to arrive a few minutes early to come in that same room and to visit with those who came to the early service. That's why we're creating that time and we can all help to make that happen. There's another point that Wade made that I want to stress again, outreach. It's about making room for more. If it was just us, we're okay, aren't we? Some of you think, is this really needed? You know, we can squeeze in, we can make do, or even come up with another overflow option. But when is it ever just about us? It's never just about us, is it? What about others? What about that new family who moved to town? What about that single parent who's looking for a church home? What about your friend, your co-worker, who you've been praying for to be saved? Who's going to make room for them? Just a few weeks ago, as we were having one of these discussions, 
an elder shared how he was seated in the balcony that morning and maybe like four different families came up to the balcony, looked for an empty spot, couldn't find a spot, and had to go back down. We don't know if they came back to the floor and found a spot or, or they left. Are we okay with that? So I hope we're not okay with that. What if that person was your friend that you've been inviting for months and months and they came and they couldn't find a seat? Now, even as it should, there's a lot of questions that we've not addressed this morning. More questions still to come. Wade shared this and I said again, if you've got a question, the elders are excited for you to be as eager as they are about this opportunity. So go to them. Ask any of them any question. And it may be the answer you get is, we don't know. Or we haven't thought of that one yet. And we'll thank you for that. And then we'll get to work on finding that answer. And then let me share this. Everybody needs to be flexible. Everybody needs to be flexible. I'm not sure who the author is. I think it was Robert Ludlum is the first one who said, Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. That's a B attitude I think we need to embrace. For years, I've been part of the elders' meetings and discussions where we dream and talk about outreach. What can we do? How can we grow? What's our mission? Sometimes I, I can remember on a number of times where one of them would say something along the idea of, you know, let's, uh, let's have a day where we can everybody invite a friend. You know, like a bring a friend day. Yeah, that's a good idea. And they may have been in another church where they did that. And the numbers would be like almost double their usual attendance. And then we'd think about that for a moment and say, but where would we put them? If everybody brought one friend, it won't work. Not with the way we're doing it now. And so the idea would just kind of drop and it never got off the ground. When people have trouble finding a spot for their family to sit together and worship, that's not ideal. When a guest looking for a church home has to arrive 10 to 15 minutes to get an ideal seat, that's not good. Last year as a church, we studied what it meant to follow Jesus 24-7. And what we learn from that is life in his kingdom is to be lived every day, not just focused on our Sunday morning gatherings, but every day. You take up your cross daily and following him. Do you remember that study? I think it was good for us. I think it was challenging for us. Because we asked some hard questions like, what is the gospel? Do you understand it? Can you explain it? What is it? What's a disciple? We use the word Christian all the time. That's usually our go-to word, but that's usually only three times in the New Testament. The word disciple is used 269 times. What does it mean to be a disciple? What's the mission of a Christian? What's the, the mission of a disciple? What's our mission as a church? If I'm a disciple, a follower, then what am I supposed to be doing? Luke 9.23 was our verse. Jesus said to the people following him, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And another verse you're familiar with, just before he ascended to heaven, he said these words to his disciples, his followers. Matthew 18, 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Out of that study, if you remember, after a retreat with the elders and ministers, we zeroed in on a mission statement that the West Seventh Church of Christ is striving to be completely committed followers of Jesus, discipling, equipping, serving, and loving. You see, when, when your leaders had the opportunity to deal with this challenge, there was a choice. And as a part of this church, you have a choice in how you think about it. Is our goal merely to alleviate crowding? Or are we willing to do whatever is necessary to carry out the mission? That's what we need to ask ourselves as we think about these decisions that we need to make. When do we let our personal preferences trump the call to make disciples? Let me remind you of something. I hope you know this already. You were not saved so that you can go to heaven. Did you know that? You were not just saved so that you can go to heaven. There is more to it than that. Now, your soul matters, and God wants you to go to heaven. That's why He sent His Son to die for you. But it's more than just you. Did we not learn that through Abraham and Rahab and Gideon? In fact, all of the Old Testament and New Testament. God wants to be known by all nations, all His people. Not just you. Not just me, not just Americans, not just Christians, everybody. And as completely committed followers of Jesus, we need to never lose sight of that. In our remaining time, I want to take you back to a passage. As Paul would say, we need to be reminded of this, because I think we do. In the opening of the Gospel of Matthew 4, verse 18, it's on the screen. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And what we see here is the beginning of a process. It started with this calling, but it lasted really the rest of their life. And that's the journey he took with them. And he never left them. He started here in Matthew 4, and he continued. I'm going to share three things with you. And again, kind of a reminder of what you already know. And this is what we learned in Matthew 4. Jesus takes the initiative to choose us. Did you know that? Jesus takes the initiative to choose us. And that's so different in that in his day, he's choosing his followers. That's not the way it worked. The rabbi didn't choose the follower. You chose the rabbi. Who do you want to learn from? The rabbi didn't do the choosing. But Jesus here does the choosing. It's what we all see in Scripture. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, the prophets, even the whole nation of Israel. It was never just about them. It was about God using them to carry out His mission, partnering with Him. In John 15, 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Now, he's talking to his disciples there. But what about to us? 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And Ephesians 1, 4, says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We are here because God has poured his grace on us 
But don't let these words he chose you give you the big head because that's not what it means at all. In fact, at this point in Matthew 4, where it talks about Jesus choosing these disciples, where some commentaries were talking about how these men were uniquely qualified to carry out this mission. But if we interpret the Scripture that way, I think we miss the whole point of the passage. Jesus did not initiate the relationship with these guys because they were specially qualified. In fact, think about it. They weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. I mean, they were the Galileans. They were the outcasts. They, they were the commoners, the nobodies. They certainly weren't the elite. See, if the rabbi was doing the choosing, they were going to choose the elite, those of noble birth. That's not who Jesus chose here. These guys, they weren't even nice sometimes. They were arrogant. They were full of themselves. They surely didn't have the understanding of this mission that was not just worldwide, but it was beyond this world. Jesus didn't call them because of their giftedness. He chose the weak, the common, as nobody else would expect. And then he did amazing things. And the same with us. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Is this verse not talking about us? Is that not what he's saying here? The things that are not? He's talking about us like we're not even here. In the big scheme of things, it's never about us. So we don't get pompous and full of ourselves saying, well, he chose me. That's not the message here at all. In fact, he chose you because of your weakness. Because of your ineptness. Not because of what you bring to the table at all. His strength is revealed when we are weak. And that's good news. Because we're dependent on His grace. But back to the verse. He says to them, follow me and I will... What? Do you remember? I will make you. He doesn't say follow me and become. He says follow me and I will make you fishers of men. These guys were anything but passionate about the kingdom. They didn't even understand the kingdom. They had so much to learn. But the process was beginning. He started it by choosing us. And then secondly, he provides the power to use us. And that's what he does with these guys. He's working in them. And he's working in us. I love the verse 2 Peter 1 through. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything you need. You've got it. He takes the initiative to choose us. He gives us the power to work through us so that he gets the glory through us. Think about the transition from the opening of the gospel to the opening of the book of Acts. From, from Matthew 4 to Acts 1 and 2. When you have the beginning of the, of the early church there. These guys go from victory among themselves to turn the world upside down. Peter, the guy who's always saying the wrong thing, is used by God to say the right thing for the first time in his life. And that group goes from 120 to 3,000 in a day. That wasn't Peter working. That was God working through him. John was always trying to debate about who's the greatest, so full of himself, thought he had all the answers. And Jesus continued to mold him into the apostle of love. And he, through inspiration, wrote the amazing letters that we have now that helps us see the love of God like nobody else. And all the others, they scattered, literally turned the world upside down. 
Acts 17, verse 6, says, These men, this was said of them, these men have turned the world upside down, and they've come here also. Their whole lives were a testimony to his glory. When Jesus chose them, and they in turn chose Jesus, it was the beginning of the most amazing thing that's ever happened on this planet. And that's the good news. I'm convinced that there are men and women, there are young people who think they have nothing to offer. They have nothing to give. They have too many shortcomings, too many weaknesses, too many failings for God to use them. And God will just say, give me a chance. He's already chosen you. Because if you believe like that, those, that's not the word from God. That is a lie from the devil. And you can believe it if you want to. Paul himself would say, when I'm weak, then he is strong. So I want you to get this. God chooses us, he provides the power, and then God gets the glory. But that only happens when each of us becomes a completely committed follower, a true disciple. You've heard me say this before. There are some people who can say they decided to, to, to obey the Lord. They heard about Jesus because of maybe a special speaker, a gospel meeting, or some other kind of special event. And that's great. But most of us, we don't peg it on one sermon or, or one message. For most of us, it was somebody. Somebody modeled Jesus to us. It was a parent or a grandparent, maybe together, maybe a teacher, a coach, maybe a youth minister, maybe a co-worker, a boyfriend of your wife who showed you Jesus. At some point, you were on somebody's prayer list. We started this year talking about names. Remember that series of lessons we talked about? About praying for the lost. Praying for them. Who's on your list? Reaching out to your own family, your own friends. Looking for opportunities to reach out to a stranger. Challenge yourself to step up to the mission. So the question is, who's on your list? Can you imagine a congregation of people who are completely committed followers of Jesus? Open the paper, turn the news, open your iPad to any kind of social media, and we wonder what's going to happen in Washington. Our biggest threat is not Washington. Who gets in the big White House? Our biggest challenge is accepting his challenge. He chose you. And what he wants to know is will you choose him? We're going to sing a song to encourage you to make that decision. We've got new doors in our baptistry. We'd love to open them again. Or if we can just pray for you to have a heart for Him. Why don't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?